Aluminium is a critical material for digital. Since 1970, there has been a 559% increase in its mining. A typical smartphone can be 14% aluminium, while up to 50% of a laptop can be made of steel and aluminium. Pat and Nuala Gagan are farmers from Mesquiton, County Limerick. Soon after, the Ainish Alumina Aluminium Mining Factory established itself nearby, their cattle began to get sick and die. And the Gagan family got sick. Their beautiful farm became the killing fields, as they now called it. The pollution drove them from their land, drove them from their home. It broke their health, broke them financially. The Irish state abandoned them, not simply abandoned them, deliberately blocked their ability to get to the truth, on multiple occasions losing evidence that could prove what was poisoning them and their animals. They, their animals, nature, had to foot the bill, paid the price for progress, for jobs, for industry. I met Nuala and Pat in Adair, County Limerick, on a calm August day in 2022. Kind and gentle people, unfailingly polite, clearly a couple still deeply in love and hugely supportive of each other. Pat, suffering from severe heart problems, shows stoicism in the face of enormous injustice. My wife, Hosilda, was with me during the interview. On other occasions, the interviewee would start focusing exclusively on me because I'd be asking the questions. Not Nuala and Pat. They regularly made eye contact with Hosilda and tried to involve her, where appropriate, in the conversation. This is what we call decency and good manners. It is not something you can easily manufacture. The Gagans are decent people. Pat and Nuala's voices never sound shrill or hectoring. They know their facts. They are angry. They speak their minds in calm and measured sentences, quietly determined, not broken. We can twist and turn the words. We can rationalise about green tech until the sickened cows come home. But we cannot get away from the fact that we rich people, we tech people, have benefited mightily from the sickening of nature. With our net zero fallacies and renewable energy greenwashing, we can build a future on lies, just like so much of our present and past is built on lies. There is nothing green about digital. It is the most artificial and among the most toxic things there is. Digital can never be green. It can only be less dirty. To mine for digital requires incredible intensity and enormous quantities of toxic waste. Digital is voracious for materials. It devours the earth in the pursuit of electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels, smartphones and laptops. This is what our innovation and creativity has wrought. We are bad ancestors, terrible stewards of the land, soil and water, and we have no time to even listen, so busy are we designing, coding, creating content, user testing. We will destroy life in our universe so as to create our pathetic metaverse, where nature must perish so the bitcoins can flourish. 
It's worth taking the time to listen to Nula and Pat, to realise a tiny fraction of the damage we have done and continue to do, and to ask, how might we consume less? How might we repair and maintain more? How might we slow down? Well, the bauxite um, that's been used by the alumina uh, plant in Eskiton usually comes from Guinea, but it comes from South Africa, it comes from other places. But the um, the problem is if it's um, bad quality, there's um, a lot of um, caustic and other things uh, added to it to uh, get out the bad impurities uh, so that it can make good alumina. But I think, you know, you, we've always looked at it the dangers of it when it comes to Ireland or comes to Waskeaton or whatever. But it, it comes in by ships at the jetty on the Anish Russell um, plant. It's offloaded. It's on it goes on to belts uh, that brings conveyor it up belts. conveyor belts that brings it up through the the plant and um it's stored in sheds and then it's Raw material. Yeah, that's the raw material in the box. And then it's put through the plant in to, to make the uh, final product. But even with the offloading of it, um, is that whatever stuff is left over, um, it's it's usually pushed off the jetty and it goes into the estuary and uh, it, it heaps at the bottom of the, of the jetty. That means that it... Um, kind of like a stockpile over the years, it compacts and then there's a problem with ships coming in. So they do dredging, which means that they just, uh, it's like a plow. It just um, sits on top of the bauxite if it's down there and it just pulls it out in into the Shannon. And that to us is dangerous because we feel that the uh, whatever's down there should be taken up through the plant and put into these um, ponds um, out there and, and stored. But that, that's um, extra costs. And look, we know they don't care about the, the environment. Um, the EP, we've reported that to the EPA, and the EPA can't find it down there, even though that um, it's the dogs in the street knows in, in how they were dumping it. So, like, um, that the EPA... Um, you know, we've lost confidence in the, in the EPA and that the uh, EPA just looks after these um, big multinationals. Um, but our environment um, is, is destroyed um, with, with this going on. That's the dredging. That's the danger. Once it's pull, pulled out and just it disperses and it'll head down to Ballybun and, um, and places like that. And um, it just damages whatever uh, in the water before it. Um, fish's eyes and things get born. But um, so look, it's in these open sheds, these bauxite sheds. Uh, then it um taken by by conveyor belt again uh, into the plant and into the process section of it, and um, they start to make the aluminum. But as I said, like we have documents to show that the um the bauxite uh, can be inferior quality. So. Once you have something of inferior quality, you've got to add um, what the, the likes of caustic into the process to break down the bad impurities. And uh, in doing so, you have that problem then of, say, the likes of caustic being pushed up through the chimneys out into the air. And um, you will talk there about the warning that it does to our animals, to our eyes, and, and everything on the on the 
on the farm. But like, it's just that bauxite alone, as I said, it's these other chemicals that gets added where you, you're looking at, at other problems. Um, what sort of chemicals? The, the caustic is one of the main Caust- things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other side, yeah, and the other side of Arsenic. the thing, Yeah. So like, these chemicals, look, we, we have a list of what's involved. The EPA will, will tell you, and they're on record, the Irish EPA are on record to say that they don't know what's contained in, in, in the bauxite. Like, for for an agency to admit that is an absolute criminal. Because if some if if this bauxite is coming in, the first thing that any EPA or Ireland needs to know, what are the dangers of those, those chemicals? Whether it is individually on their own or whether them together, people need to know if there's dangers. Now, you know, they've used the uh, European directives and um, it was classed as hazardous and they've Prior now... To yeah. To 2000? Yeah, to 2000. And then they changed it to um, non-hazardous. Accommodate, because if they didn't, the, the Anish Luna at that stage would have had to comply with, you know, more laws and things. Right. So the Irish EPA reclassified it from hazardous to non-hazardous. To facilitate, you know. The company so, didn't change the process one bit, like, but just... Just use European law to, to, uh, you know, European directive to to get it back in. And and that's the way, even though when it comes down to our farm, it's hazardous. But when it's down on on the aluminum plant, it's not hazardous. You know, so like, and the other way as well to make it non-hazardous is that they've used a kind of a process in the testing of it and it gets washed and, and things in such a way that it, it gets diluted down to bring it in under uh, an unhazardous um, mm. reading. Yeah. So we're getting the full whack of it, where they have time to deal with it and getting it tested and getting it sorted out in, in their own way. The way and, yeah, and, and Europe comes in then to facilitate them, you know, in, in how this is done. So when, when this comes up through the plant, the bauxite, and all this is added, you have uh, the waste... Is pumped out into these tailing ponds. They're 450 acres in size. Um, at the moment, they're storing over 50 million tons of toxic that's waste. Yeah, that's a low estimate. Uh, the EPA classes it as about 35 million, but they have allowed Anish to um, keep it down and get yeah and get away with it. So if we were, if we were to call it today in in 2022. We would be saying that them there's a, you're looking at seventy five million tons at least down there. Now, so not alone that is that when the ponds were uh, constructed in nineteen eighty three, and uh, they were allowed to not um, line the these ponds so that there wouldn't be any seepage into the into the estuary. Can you say a pond? Explain what a pond is well, a, to people. A pond, a pond would be a big hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's just about it. And the first one was about two hundred and fifty acres in size, but there was about one hundred and fifty acres of that never lined. So, and and, it's and a, now it's four hundred acres. It's four hundred and fifty acres now. Oh. So, they, but from the rest has been lined, but you're looking at at, at this black um, type lining. Now, as Noel has pointed out earlier to you, there is that 
when these chemicals interact with other or years or even individually, we believe there is no lining. A hole be made in it, you know, or eroded or whatever, and that there has never been any checks down there to see it. Now, also, what we had looked for in that when the, when the first 150 acres or so were never lined, is that when they did the second pond of 200 acres, that we had pushed that they would, when they had had it lined, is that they would take this 150 acres of the material from and line. from line one, from the first pond, move it into the second pond that was lined, and then come back in and do your lining of this. But, first tailing yeah, pond. But because this would cost them money or whatever, it was never going to be pushed on them. So the EPA licensed a facility in uh, 1998 uh, which gave them permission to pollute because they knew it wasn't lined, they knew that it was going to um, just head off into the Shannon, and then, you know, it's it's a facility that's, that's been given a license to pollute, because they just didn't want to upset, upset this company, and they didn't care about the environment. So you, the other thing that we look at is that we've always been pushing for, if chemicals are sitting there since 1983, um, how do they interact with each other? Like you have arsenic, yeah, you have arsenic, you have uranium, you have cad cadmium, you have strontium. Like you, you, you have um, dangerous, dangerous chemicals that sits there. How do they entwine in each other? How does no. they, how does they affect each other? And when it blows, are we getting them? individually affecting our human health or our animals or are we getting them changed in such a way mm. that it makes them more lethal that when we in out farming or walking that the particles are, are at, the, at the lowest level, at the smallest level 2.5 or whatever in that we inhale them through our lung, into our lungs we, uh, our animals inhale them and the grass. Yeah, they're eating it off the grass. They're drinking it in the in the trucks. What are the dangers to that? Because you you if you keep putting chemicals on top of other chemicals, you know you you have a change of bauxite coming in. It may not be the same as the first mm -hmm. uh, loads that came in in 1983. They could be way different. They could come from another mine, and that there would be every load is not the same. There is that bit of a change, mm. and if they sit there and they're packed together uh, and whatever, then when they're dry, because of the ponds are, see, the way they, they get it out into these open ponds is that it comes as a liquid form, and it, it's allowed to dry it. And the the pipe is in the middle of the pond, so it's left to um, come down to all the, the levels, and it's every layer is allowed to dry it in but it's 32 meters above sea level so like the higher you go means that the wind is able to whip the the red dry, the, yeah. when it's dried the red dust onto our arms it, it travels it's, it's just not alone is it in in a skate or whatever it travels to Mayo it travels to Nigal it, it, it travels all over the place <clears throat> what the EPA were doing before was they were saying, oh, the Sahara dust. 
the Sahara dust wasn't coming all the time at all. It was anish with their red dust that was travelling over Ireland. But the best way the DEPA could get anish out of the problem was to say that it was Sahara dust. We know that the Sahara dust does come to Ireland, but it's not coming that the amount of times that they're saying like because we we have we have the red dust. Now, and the other thing that the EPA can't maintain is that it can come onto our farm. These ponds are 450 acres in size, but the EPA will not admit that they come onto our farm, but they can admit that they can come from the Sahara to to, to Ireland or onto our farm, but we are five miles as the crow flies, but they won't admit that, that it's a hennish that comes on to, to ours. So, you know, we, there is so many things there, as we say, with, with these chemicals. Now, the, like that we the, don't know about. That we don't know they about. Answers, you know. We've asked, but they don't. They, they, they won't do it. Yeah, because it, it'll, it'll connect, it'll connect anish to causing the problems. It'll be classed as a nuisance if it comes onto your farm, but it also, they could get caught for damage and they would have to pay a compensation to, to farmers or whatever, or they're putting the food chain at risk. That will not be allowed to happen. They're a Russian company now. They're owned by Olga Deripaska. He's a personal friend of Putin's. So, you know, we have our highest of our politicians, like Leo Radkar and, and, and others, who, who can visit this uh, this plant uh, to, to ask um, Mr. Deripaska, are you okay? We... We'll ensure that you won't be upset. We'll ensure that um, you know that, that you'll be able to keep working, and we'll ensure that there'll be no sanctions on you, because we can use it as it's you're producing a product which is used for alumina, and we need alumina out there. We need to to make our planes. We need to you know make our phones. We need to make everything regarding it, so we can get around that for you. Um, Mr. Darapaska, and I'm sure um, your friend um, Putin will will be very impressed with us. But like, we can do that for you, but we won't help out our own Irish industry, or we won't visit the um, the farm of Pat and Nola Gagan and, and and other ones in the area, because um, we treat our Irish citizens as um, third class citizens when it comes to that. But we we put you in there uh, because you're Russian and you you know. As, as first-class citizens against our own. We, we will not have you upset, but we have no problem in leaving Pat Gehaken or Nola get their heart attacks or mm. miscarriages. But um, that's how bad Ireland has gone. That's the cover-up that they will go to to protect these people at, at all costs. Life means nothing to them, and I'm sure Nola can tell you what happens on our farm when it does come up. Because the materials, basically, as you say, are essential to the manufacturing process of yes. the modern products yes. that yeah. we yeah that you need make. yeah well maybe that we I say that we need maybe we we don't need them as much as as we say we need them yeah. but we will make sure that nothing will you know once we can make make once we are able to have a phone and that we can ring Putin on his hotline we're happy yeah. enough for that yeah so, um, yeah so the, you were saying earlier that uh, there's two sources of pollution or chemical. One is in relation to that red dust and the yeah. other is coming from the chimneys. Yeah. So what, how, so that's the manufacturing process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There is two processes and everything is from, it's from the mining, you know, process because once that bauxite comes, 
it produces the, the waste, which is the red mold. So what happens? It, it goes through a, a chemical mixing or a firing? Yeah. or what, yeah, it's, what? it's the bare process that is called. And there is calciners, you know, there's all these... Um, so they stir it and mix it? Yeah, and, and, and it, it goes through a certain heat and, and whatever. But the, as I said... It's not an innocent process. No, no. you know, like and you can't change it. It's not like making sweets. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? You can't change from that process. It's got to stay the same. But the problem is back uh, in the early 90s when we really had so much of the problems was that they were producing so much of it. But when it got the chimneys, the, the, because they were using oil, which had a 4.5% uh, sulfur contents, it meant that the chimneys were starting to close in because it was sticking to the to the chimneys, which, you know, so which means that, that they had to um, sort of blow out. Uh, and the problem was that the, the chemicals used in that process to try and clean what came from the mining process that was going through the plant was even as bad Worse, yeah, as yeah. the thing because, um, the, you know, we have a list of, of those, but the, the nickel was very high in that. The vanadium that was used was very high in that. And what they had to do was to blow that up the chimneys, clean the chimneys. And that was done uh, 365 days of the year because the, they could not afford, if these chimneys started to close up in that plant, they cannot shut that plant down because if it stops, they can't get it going again. This plant has to be taking over, even with shutdowns, it's just got to be taking over because they cannot restart this plant. So they had to keep ahead of that. So we had the process from the mining going through the plant. We had the caustic being added and other chemicals that we haven't been taught about to make bad, from bad to be good. So they get good uh, alumina. We had the the soot being blown out with these other dangerous chemicals like the, the yeah, inferior. Oil. Yeah. So the, there was no break. It it when it left the mining in Guinea, South Africa, or wherever, we were in trouble once it came to Ireland, and we were in big trouble. And we and to this day we are in trouble because of. <clears throat> the cancers in the area, the, the human health problems, the, the miscarriages and the whole lot. But myself and Nula took it upon ourselves to to fight, to raise awareness. We have been in the doll protesting, we have been we have been in a lot of places protesting ourselves. We we never asked for anyone to, to help us. But like they damaged our kids, they they destroyed our lives and the first thing was you know, you, you, you can you can go and you can die without saying a word, but we are the opposite. Before we'll die, we are going to be vocal, and we're going to stay vocal. Uh, well, we started having problems back in the 90s, like, you know, well, the late 70s, late 80s, 90s. This company started, our company, and Shalom, started in 1983, and just problems started occur within farm animals. The late, the late 80s into the 90s, and during the 90s, the middle 90s, they really took off. Like there was animals suddenly, farmers were experiencing things. I can only speak for our own farm. Like I was farming with my farm with my father before we got married, and my dad, the, the vet, was on come in maybe once or twice a year, and one of them times was to do um, the annual hair test. Like. But all of a sudden, dad. We noticed we got married in 1987. 92, I had my first 
the one Amanda. And that year, the animals never, or baby calves, never went out to sheds. They were constantly coming down with pneumonia, as we presumed, coughing. And we presumed, you know, naturally, you something like that, or high temperatures in an animal and baby calf, like you presume from your previous knowledge, oh, this must be pneumonia or something. But they never tried, every time we tried to put them out into the grass, they just, we had to get them back in, they were all sick and the rest was coming in and coming out and giving them antibiotics and whatever, and a lot of them died and they just didn't thrive. Dad died because, sorry to say, because there was no mobile phones at the time, and some first of our animals that were really dying, they were we used to take them off in the springtime, the following spring in ninety three, off down to an outside land, my mom's land. And because he found a couple of them dead. And he was his land was landlocked, so no mobile phone like we have these days. So he had to rush down and try and ring us on a landline to come down and try and help him. Got a mass cart in that and die there and then instantly. So that's a kind of through part of myself totally into the farming and we were trying to deal with our grief losing my dad the animals dying cows not showing up in calf all of a sudden trying to keep the calf alive trying to keep the cow in calf trying to get a live calf out of her the animals we had not thriving getting sick the cow getting sick and in our particular farm it didn't suddenly just die overnight they went on maybe for three or four months, and a little sore that might be the size of the button on your phone, the push button that opens your iPhone, would suddenly be a dinner plate size by the time the animals come to death. Like, you know, and by that time we had so much antibiotics, every type of uh, medicine into her, our veterinary bills were building up. At the same time, Patrick's health was deteriorating. He was constantly having to go to our late GP, Dr. Ann Tehan for antibiotics because it was, as she taught, constantly getting reoccurring chest infections. That's what it appeared like. In later years, we was because of having met someone down the line and educated ourselves through going into libraries and reading books and things, we discovered it was just agitation from the chemicals flowing from Aluminum and constantly agitating the and your body tries to expel it. You know, and it appears like you have chest infections. Same with our animals. Our animals were just inhaling this, eating this, everything. We entered in in ninety six. We entered into a two year state led investigation because they had acknowledged at this stage that there was a lot of animals, farm animals, dairy, beef, whatever, dying in this part of the skeeton. Just a coincidence, because near and Shalom, they're like, you know, and all of a sudden they decided, oh, I suppose we're going to try and do something about these poor old farmers, because they were kicking up, farmers were kicking up. We were one of five, that's how bad we were, we were taken on because we filled up senses of what had happened to our animals and what was happening to ourselves. And we discovered to our shock that we were one, we were number six. Number five of the worst farmers didn't go in. So we were taken on as number five. We thought, this is our saviour. We're going to find, you know, they had the apartheid culture. They had Tagish. They had the EPA who was newly formed. Like, oh, 
God's greater come to help us save our animals, like, and save our livelihood, because our livelihood was going down the drain, like, I mean, like, and we were only something like 17 days into the investigation. We got our vets to renew to our farm, like, they were in there about a year and something, to write it down in the report about it, like, you know, that Polish we were some of the worst farmers. So, it started the catalogue of letters between us and the investigators that were doing it. While they were, we, we learned very quickly not to trust these people, and we recorded everything. If they came in and they blooded our animals, we looked at split samples because we realised at this stage we couldn't trust them. Now, we had no money to do anything with the split samples, but they were aware we had the split samples stored somewhere, like, you know. We wouldn't be getting, you wouldn't, if your animal collected from the farm, it was dead and was taken away for an autopsy. You weren't allowed to see, go with that animal and see how the autopsy was performed or if an autopsy was performed or anything like that. So you got maybe a one-page or half-a-page report on your animal, like, and it was all oh, what you had done. So this went on went on. And while they were on our farm for the two-year investigation, the local liaison veterinary officer between us and the bigger investigation actually lived close to me. And he used to come out and record it, and he used to start writing down about our cattle had airway problems, like just like they were smokers. So by the time we came out of the investigation two years later, they didn't call us bad farmers. They didn't come down that side, but they were one of the ones that didn't call bad farmers because my father had never bought in animals. We were a closed herd, and we had very good records of who every cow was out of them. It, you know, the calf and their name with all our animals named. And for a finish, the, the man that was coming in could even know that a small Dan or a small Blondie or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> because uh, strange enough, some animals would succumb more to pollution as does a human. Like, mm. we learned over time that I would react differently, female would react differently to male. Patrick, mm. like, you know. I had miscarriages around the same time as my animals were having miscarriages, like, you know. I didn't get the respiratory problems as bad as Patrick did. He got them very bad. Like, it was just... And that's common knowledge now, that the female and the male will react different to various things, like, you know. Same within the animal. My daughter, Amanda, she never was on an antibiotic until she was playing one day under a tree. We had a swing under the tree. And she went back and she was swinging it, and she, she just said she didn't feel well when I came down to her. And it went on for two years. Like, that child went from being no antibiotics. Like, we, our doctor had a wonderful GP, and she had been friends with the guy. Now, when I say we went into an investigation for two years, there was a very minute side to it, a human health side to it. They did a little survey where a nurse would write down half of your things, like, you know, um, it's a few people in the area and you kept kind of a health diary. That was it. They came in, they used to blood our animals. Like, there was, some, there was no blooding where the human was concerned. And we just turned around and we said, surely the human is more important than the animal and you should be doing as much as it's human. Like, and, oh, no, 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 there's no need for any of that, like... But we convinced, our GP finally convinced Dr. Kevin Keller, who was the head of the very minute side of the health side, to start taking blood samples from us. He couldn't tell us 
We just took them in. Gussie said, I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what to test for, because I don't know what's below in that company. The chemicals that are being used or what's in it. We could tell him what was in it, because the EPA, it was there if you went looking for it, the EPA, but the EPA wouldn't tell you straight out. But if you went down, if you went actually looking, you could figure out what the EPA knew what was in it. From, from toxicologists in, yeah. in, in England that they brought in mm-hmm. and what was going on. They had told him to look for like caustic aluminium and things like that. You so, know, but they kept that mm-hmm. quiet from us all yeah. in, in case you'd look for it. So after two years of giving in all these bloods, we gave him something like 20 different bloods. My daughter Amanda's bloods were even, she was taken into the regional hospital, which is now UHL, University Hospital Limerick. And there was five vials of blood taken from her. That's just one example. Those bloods mysteriously ended up being missing. Even though we were told those very vials of blood were sent to Dublin and London for testing. Horrible. Hence the list of chemicals from yeah. managed to be in by doctors. We weren't just told this, we were told this by two doctors, like, you know, they're all missing. Now, I never personally delivered stuff. My doctor took bloods, took hair samples, the nurse even used to come out and collect samples from us. Mm-hmm. They were giving in over two years, and all of a sudden, all these samples went missing. After we were told that they had been gone, land samples, she was only five going on six at the time, like, you know. Seriously, we were looking for the results. We were told, I remember being told on an answer machine that some of the results by Dr. Paul McKeown, he stood over this in an internal inquiry that was shown about our missing samples. He actually stood over that, that he was told that some of the samples were back and the results were back and some people waiting on other results. And we kept looking for these residues results, nothing coming, until eventually I got something like a five line of letters telling me all the samples were lost. And then it went on to be granted an IPC license, license straight away and cleared of any wrongdoing in the state. Well, you were teaching yourself, like, you used to go down and with we money we to, didn't really have, like, we we remember, we were farmers, so we were lying on our animals to bring in money, like, like our cows were going in calves, so that meant, you know, like they were dying, like, we lost 79 animals, like, no, we weren't, mm-hmm. we were on a medium sized farm, like, like, you know. So we weren't able for these losses, like, we've never recovered from those financial losses, like, you know, because I lost half of the land, like, all my mom's land, because of banks to close, closing on us and things, like, you know, because we stood up, we feel that a lot of, we suffered, because we stood up to these authorities, like, you know, like, banks foreclosed on us, even when we were paying loans, like, you know, phone lines would be you know, phone, because we missed one payment of a phone, like, bill, like, you know, phone was cut off, like, but, so, like, farmers were threatened, some of the farmers were threatened, like, one of the farmers involved with us in the investigation, because he was standing up as well, he, the milk lorry, passed his farm and didn't collect his milk. A lot of intimidation. Then she went on, like, you know, and then other farmers actually... There was a vegetable farmer, like, you know, a garden farmer, like, you know, he was afraid to say anything because he was afraid that his produce wouldn't be bought, like, you know. So a lot of intimidation. We lived through a lot of intimidation. And still do to this day. Yeah, we still do to this day, like, you know. But Patrick got the first heart attack in 2009. From emissions. From yeah, from emissions. Like, there was a serious 
black cloud and something just told us we ran over and we got our second daughter Megan out of school like out of national school we made up some excuse and collected her but we felt this there's something about this black cloud and came over our farm like 48 hours later he had um, a heart attack and I should have been yeah. imprisoned because when we did his blood like because he took urine samples and the levels of arsenic yeah. and all of that I should have been in prison as for for poisoning me like calcium iron there was um, arsenic and um, lead and things like that like you know so and they were only the ones we were able we were forward we could afford to look for the only big plus we had during our time was that um, we got a German vet in look at our animals just treat our animals normally like because our other we fell out naturally with our other vets like you know and this man and this man like he wasn't he didn't come down on our side he didn't come down on the side of the company he looked at the evidence he collected water samples scrapings from our tanks like he collected tissue samples and all the samples. He did postmortems and our animals like on the farm. It was just us like, you know. But he made he took whatever he was to take for the mad cow disease. You you know, these he 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 was totally legal in what he did, like and how he conducted like you know. mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing. Like, like these were all cows that we named them and he and we had to stay there and, 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 and he'd open them and we'd have to because yeah, it was horrible we, we hardened up very quick because when the animal's been taken away, we'd only get to be told, oh, it was in the morning that yeah. the animal died of it. It, it. it wasn't the case of, look, it could have led to other things that led to the, the muck. Mm. So, like, he was able to tell us and he was able to find... Show us, yeah, as he was taking the, the kidneys, kidneys. All the kidneys had been enlarged. Or the liver, or, like, or, or the way the liver would be tied on to the, to the walls of the animal, like, you know. So he was able or to show the, us. The lungs, when he cut yeah. the lung open, there were... That's yeah. calcified, you yeah. know, down along. So, like, they were walking around for a year or two when they should have been dead, two years, because we were Some animals, some other farmers, just far from us, that's cold size, maybe about half a mile, maybe it was some like, their animals just actually died standing up. They were walking, and then collapsed. Got, yeah. Didn't they collapse? They died on their feet. And then they're dead. Because the further away you go, we're sitting here and there at the moment. It's further you got away from, from the plant, from the mushroom. It's like we're sitting here on a lovely big umbrella. And we can't to know true reading, but there's a thing called a mushroom effect. And the closer you are to the plant, the less effect, because stuff is going further away. The further away, the, 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 the more geological effects you have, like as wind carries and, you know, it, it drops particles. The heavier particles drops first, and then the lighter ones will go further along. And these were coming both from the chimneys and from the from red dust. The open. <coughs> so they were all the from open. mixing. Yeah. You were getting yeah, both, yeah, a mix yeah. of both. And as we well, that time, the salt cake is it's another waste product. Is another waste product. Right. It it contains all these hazardous oxalate. It contains oxalate, and that's the cancer material, and that's dumped. On top of the mud. At the time, it was it was little cells. I don't in know how big because we were never allowed into this company. <laughs> Only person never been allowed into this well, company. Well, <laughs> they'd be burying them, and then they'd come along the red mud, the waste, and they'd cover up the cells. We're told now they don't do that anymore. They just, just go and out. the salt cake. How does it occur? <clears throat> salt cake is another waste product. 
great byproduct from the making of through again to the mining process or right. through the bauxite that comes in that this is a leftover a waste product. yeah it's, it's it's a cancerous material it's it's very dangerous and it's taken it's taken by uh, a truck out onto these ponds okay. uh, and just dumped on on top as as Noor was saying they they used to come out and dig a hole in the red mud cell fill put in the the byproduct oh and it's filled they cap it cap it over but by by the time they'd even cap it over the wind was taking it and it was coming onto our farm so you've been exposed you've been exposed to the red mud from the mining mining process you were exposed to the caustic you were exposed to the, to the salt cake and you were exposed to the soot blowing. Yeah. So you were four or five different um, sections within this process, but all stemmed again from once it was taken out of the mine, we were exposed. We have read horrendous articles about how these people this are exposed mm -hmm. out in the mines and how they're paid nothing and how they're exposed and lung problems and, and the dust and the whole lot. But the end process, the end process is, is the same is, result as the human as the start process. It's yeah. nearly way worse because you're adding we those extra chemicals, which isn't in the process as they put in the digger or whatever, or the load of mine. You, you, they'll get out of the mine and that's the one product and that's gone. But once it went out, there, out from the mine, you had all these extra things playing in, coming into play, it's being added in the whole lot, and now it's sitting there accumulating together. And blowing all over mm. Ireland, and we're all exposed to it. Mm. Like, there's a lot of cancer. I mentioned when we met about there's a, a funeral of a child, teenagers are going on. But, like, there's a, a lot of cancer, a lot of. Like, Dr. Kevin Tolliver, he, like, when we tried to bring this up to him at public, in the DEPA final report on the escaping thing was done back in 2001, and we tried to. Question him on it below at a public meeting. Like his answer to, oh, what did he say? What? Show me a child with. Yeah, that was a moment of prayer. Oh, yeah. He, he said, show me a child with a head But that was his thing as well, like, you know, that um, I'd say uh, we've met people who did this health diet that I mentioned earlier on. And uh, if one child had asthma and your other child didn't have asthma, they focus in on the child that has nothing. Mm. And that uh, came from the mother, like, you know, and there has been numerous stories of that. And the other way they had got around it was that we, produ we produced our own study in the Kappa area of 700 of a population that was either 60 or 70 that had cancer. But when we brought that um, to Dr. Kevin Keller and even to the Taoiseach, who was Minister for Health at the time in 2001, um, they, came, they came back and said there was no problem. But what they did was they produced an area next to it that had uh, a DED area of 4,000 population. They brought, in the, they brought in the 4,000 population into the 700, which meant they were able to dilute the problem of where the cancers was. Get out yeah. of it. So they have all the tricks of the trade, like, you know, and, and, and we are, we, but like, we don't have the power as, as, you know, as, as, as two yeah. people to, um, to be able to, we can only expose it we as sat much down, as we can. We sat down there, what, last year, was it? <coughs> year before, no, before COVID, mm. stuff like, uh, with another person, and like, we just went through and just did what she knew and we knew of cancers in there. This woman has lost her child's cancer. Like, so very rare cancer, mm. immune sarcoma. Yeah. And she knows of other children that have them. 
like it's supposed to be very rare. It's not so rare at all in West Limerick. You know, do we just allow general knowledge in the area, like an amount of cancer that's evolved? It also causes heart. And men, men have, having to get bypassed, like I yeah. have, is huge. Respiratory Because problems. the farmers are out there in, in you know, farming, and they're yeah. out in the yeah. land, and they're out there. And I'm, I not, saying that, I'm not yeah. saying that women aren't out there, because they are out there, right? But they, they may be in more than the men. And it seems that the, that the farmers are getting a lot of, of heart bypasses, getting heart attacks and things like that. Oh, respiratory yeah. problems, asthma, you know, you know, stuff like that. Like, we can show you an article from the Lancet Journal, like, which is a medical high, yeah. you know, yeah, medical yeah. journal, like, and it can show Patrick Lester, triple bypass, can show you. How we, you because know, he, he never drank, he never smoked, like, you know what I mean? But, but we're smoking in this yeah. company. Mm. We might as well be smoking, like, you know. Yeah. Like it comes into your homes. Like, you know, they're not safe inside your home. They're not safe. It is airborne. And once it's airborne, if, if it was in the water, you can control it some bit more. But once it's airborne, it, 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 it gets out and there's no... There's no and there's no mask. Like Dr. Paul Connett, as he said, there is no mask known to men to protect Yeah. Yeah. These small... And Professor Paul Connett came over from... From America now, and he he had talked about the red stuff coming onto our farm, like, and he says, "How do you know if red stuff is on their farm? Well, you know that they have black Wellingtons on. They walk through their their, their fields, and when they come out, they're red, right?" If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, please check out my book, Worldwide Waste, at JerryMcGovern.com. To hear other interesting podcasts, please visit. This is hcd.com.